0: As we enter October, we're in the home stretch of our presidential election process. I'm excited to be talking about the kingdom of God instead of the presidential debates and everything else. But I will say this. If the presidential debate on Tuesday was nothing else, it was entertaining to watch what looked like two two two-year-olds yell at each other the whole night. Am I right? I mean, what a train wreck. My favorite part, I don't know your favorite part, was when... Biden called Trump a clown, and then he said, oh, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, you probably shouldn't say that about the president of the United States. And then when Biden insulted Trump's intelligence, and he goes, You're gonna, you don't even know what college you you graduated from. I don't know if y'all found any of that funny, uh, but I found it somewhat entertaining in the midst of what was chaos in that debate. But as we get into this, there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot with the election. There's a lot with our president and our country with COVID-19. I will tell you this. I think the best thing that happened to our country obviously is not what happened to Trump contracting the coronavirus. As a church, as a people, as Christians, we should all be praying for him to recover healthy. And if you're like, I don't like Trump then maybe you can follow Biden and Obama, President Obama's example, where they said, we wish no harm or ill against the president. We're praying for his speedy recovery. That's the kind of attitude we have. And maybe somehow in the midst of this, we can find a little bit of calm and rational thinking. Maybe things can get a little bit better. Uh, There are elections going on, and we have one that's happening today as well. I want to make sure you are aware of it. At the end of our service, you're going to be voting on... Darren Brummett as our next minister to adults. And so you should have received one of these. If you're thinking, I don't have one, in order to vote in our church, you're supposed to be 16 years or older and a member of our church. So if you're here and you qualify, please vote. If you are a citizen of our country, we want to encourage you to register to vote in the presidential election as well. You'll be hearing a little bit from Darren and his wife as we get into all that. But whenever you think about Trump, Whenever you think about Biden, and whenever you think about the church, here's what I hope you have as we get into the politics of Jesus. I hope you have a fresh sense of awareness that we are members of a different kingdom. I hope that whenever you think about who we are as followers of Jesus Christ, you can experience the freedom of being a part of something much bigger than just the United States of America. And what we're talking about specifically is the kingdom of God. We're gonna be in Mark chapter one and as we jump into this, Mark is very active to get a lot of the details. It's a very busy gospel. He goes from event to event to event And he starts off with just kind of this glorious moment in scripture that reveals so much about Jesus and the intentionality of scripture, the prophecy fulfilled. And how Jesus came to pave a way for us to have entrance into the kingdom of God. And so, Mark chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to start. We're going to be working all the way through verse 15. But as you open up your Bible, please read along with me. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. You can look on the screens with me as well. This is what it says. The beginning of the Gospels of Jesus Christ the Son of God, and this is kind of interesting because everyone believes, everyone kind of agrees that Mark was the first gospel that was actually written. So, at the beginning of the gospels of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's message, John the Baptist's message was one who was paving or preparing the way for God Almighty to come, for the Messiah to come, and as he is about himself, it's very important that you realize that in Isaiah 40, verse 3 He is a fulfillment of this prophecy that he would come to pave the way that he would point people's hearts and directions. And he understood his role. He was one who, as he spoke, his message was quite clear. It was this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so as he was in the wilderness, the world, the people of God made a beaten path to his door. They would find him and search for him, and as they heard, they would not only hear the message, they would receive the message that God was coming, that the day of the Lord was upon them, that God's message of hope and redemption was about to be discovered in a way that was undeniable. As he spoke, he spoke with one who was with conviction. He spoke as one with power and authority, and from the outside looking in, there's no reason anybody should pay attention to this man. Wearing camel's hair, which was not common, he had enough to simply get by. He didn't live a life of luxury. He ate honey and locusts, which probably is that not that big of a deal because I'm sure as everyone was eating breakfast today, you had your honey locust cereal, Right? Maybe you had toast and you put honey and locusts on it. Like, who wouldn't do that, right? But his message was consistent and it was sound because the authority that was placed on him as a fulfillment of Isaiah 43. He spoke as one who was a military general. When he spoke, the words that he said were immediately obeyed. Without hesitation, people would just turn from their sins and turn to God. They wanted to prepare their hearts to be ready for the Messiah that had been foretold. It's a great indicator of how our hearts and our lives are supposed to be. I wonder how many of us, when we're getting ready for church, said, Lord, prepare in me a spirit to receive your word today. I wonder as how we are driving into the parking lot today, if any of us were listening to praise music saying, Lord, speak to me in new and fresh ways. I wonder whenever we go about our week, if we have a mentality that says, Lord, I know you died for me, you saved me, Help me to live for you. I wonder as we go about our work and our jobs around our friends and our neighborhoods, Do we look like one whose life is completely radically altered by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we look crazy to the world in the same way that John the Baptist looked crazy? When we take a step back, are we crazy? Or are we simply crazed with the message of the Messiah? John heard and received the message. He experienced the good news of forgiveness of sin. He knew that Jesus was coming to take away the sins of the world. The impact of his life was one who was so consumed by the gospel that he altered everything. And he did this act over, since hence John the Baptist. He baptized people. When you think about baptism, it's really quite a powerful thing. This morning in our first service, we had a girl named Erica get baptized. And Erica came to our church because of her grandmother. Her grandmother brought her. She received Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And she said, I want to be baptized. What happens anytime anyone gets baptized in our church is usually we meet up behind everything. We talk about what baptism is just so everybody can understand. What John would do is he would take people. And y'all have to imagine. Can everybody imagine a little bit? We're going to imagine this as a person. You can name him J.R., whatever you want. But as you think through baptism, what happens whenever someone receives Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? We look at them and we say, are you getting baptized because you've asked Jesus to save you from your sin? Have you asked him to come into your heart? Have you asked him for forgiveness, to make him Lord and Savior? And whoever is getting baptized usually says yes. They're supposed to say yes, right? And we say, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I or we or whoever baptizes you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we take that individual, and we take them and submerge them underwater. And as they go down, that act represents how Christ died on the cross for our son. And then we hold them underwater for three days. (laughs) I said that to Erica, and she looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, no, we're going to hold you underwater for that split second. But when you're underwater, it shows how Christ was buried. And then we will raise you up in newness of life. You come out of the water, which symbolizes how Christ rose from the dead. Baptism is an outward expression of what Christ has done on the inside. How he washes away our sin. And as you think of baptism and his death, burial, and resurrection, we understand that this is not something that saves us from our sin, water baptism is an identifier of what Christ has done, washing away our sins. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. One of the things that we get to do today is we get to hear from Darren Brummett and how he came to faith. In Jesus Christ. And I think that as you hear this. There might be many of you who resonate with it. And I just want you to, to hear his own faith story. From his own,
1: own mouth. So I grew up in a small city called Emory. Um, Emory, Texas is about an hour east of here, and so I grew up there, and I'm very blessed in that I grew up in a believing family, um, a Christian home, and they were very faithful in bringing us to church from really my earliest memories. Um, And so I'd heard the gospel, I'd had um, really an intellectual understanding of who Jesus was and what he had done for me, but I had never really made the connection uh, from the brain all to my heart and to really understand my sin until in 2000, uh, I'm sorry. Sorry, in 1996, when I was six years old, um, sitting in a VBS, I really came to an understanding for the first time of I'm a sinner, and because of that sin, I'm separated from the love of God. Um, and we'll spend eternity away from him. And so on that night, um, I gave my life to him, um, put my faith in him and him alone, repented of my sin, um, and, and really from that point on began to live a life um, of somebody who was changed by the gospel. Um, that really didn't have a huge effect on my life as a six-year-old as it would later on as I slowly began to mature as I got older. Um, and really, uh, the, really, the biggest change happened in terms of my um, spiritual walk with the Lord um, Um, In 2006, when I was a sophomore in high school, there was a youth ministry in town that had started to grow. My family had left the church uh, that I was saved in Point Baptist Church um, because the pastor had left and they didn't like the new preaching and it was a horrible excuse to not continue to go to church, but we'd kind of fallen out of that. And so um, on Easter... In 2006, the week after Easter, I visited for the first time this church called Believers Baptist Church in Emory. And uh, the first week that I visited there, I met the youth pastor, and we really had this connection almost instantly of um, of just friendship and this bond and... Um, from that point on a couple weeks later he began he asked me if I would be interested in discipling with him and so he took me on uh, personally one on one to disciple me and so each week after youth on Wednesdays I would go to him and his wife's house and have dinner with them and we would just study Um, We would just go through the Word, and so what that looked like to begin with was us going through his college systematic theology book, which may sound kind of daunting and boring to some people, but I was just eating all that up, and so that relationship really developed, and then that summer in 2006 at church camp, I felt an additional call on my life and a call to ministry, and I knew that that's what God wanted for me and and had designed for me, and so I really wanted to pursue that. Uh, Unfortunately, he, Jeff uh, Fair, my youth pastor who I had that mentorship with, he, left a year later uh, to be called to a new church in Orlando, which is super far away from Emory, um, all the way in Florida. And so our we had this vacancy in our youth group. And and so we didn't have a youth pastor. We didn't have a really big budget um, to, to attract these new awesome people in Emory. And so I just went to the pastor and asked if I could lead it. Uh, and so as a junior in high school, I started leading the Bible studies on Wednesdays and Sundays and, and really began to develop my um, understanding of teaching the word to others. Um, immediately after, After high school, I went off to Bible college. I'm at Criswell Bible College here in Dallas, and uh, I became a paid staff member for the first time at that church in Emory, and so I was a youth pastor there for about six and a half years uh, before eventually my wife and I met my wife there at that church, and eventually we uh, moved up here to DFW, and I was at Lake Point for a year in children's ministry, um, really not the calling on my life, children's ministry, and so uh, after that time there, we began to pursue other things, which eventually led me uh, to meeting Pastor Cole and wanting to pursue adult ministry, and that's why we're here.
0: One of the things that not everybody knows about Darren, he's been around for a couple of years, so hopefully y'all have seen him and got to experience him, but whenever I got introduced to him by a friend of ours, a mutual friend, Alex Gonzalez, I remember Alex saying, look, I want you to take this guy under your wing, and I want you to kind of grow him up and, and help him mature in his faith, disciple him, do whatever you can to kind of give him a foothold for ministry. I think he'll be worth your time and effort, and I looked at him, and I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm just kidding. So we had an opportunity to meet, and as we, we met, I said, I've got a deal you can't refuse. I need you to commit to one year of your life being at our church. If you're going to be here and miss every other week, if you're going to be here and not be committed, I really don't want to make this investment in you. But if you come in a year, we'll give you great ministry experience, and at the end of it, I think you'll be ready to do ministry in an effective way. And so that first year that he worked for us, he worked for free. Um, that was the offer he can't refuse, not paying him for a full year. And uh, we extended it to where he actually not only went that first year, but he went a couple months after that. And then when Walter moved to Tyler, we just kind of had this mutual conversation and said, all right, here's the deal. How about you come on part-time? We'll we'll pay you enough to, to kind of make it worth your while. And hopefully we'll just kind of see what happens from it. And over the past six, eight months, he has really earned the opportunity to become our adult minister, and so that's why he's here today. But I love the story that I think is so relatable, that we grow up knowing about Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. We, we know that he's the Son of God, and maybe we've heard it in VBS, or maybe we've heard it in church, but there's a difference between knowing in our mind and confessing with our mouth that he is our personal Lord and Savior, and so that's just a reminder for all of us that We not only need to get to a point where we know that he's king, but we need to identify with the king. And what I love in this passage in Mark chapter 1 verse 9 through 13 is we see this process of how not only do we get to identify with Jesus, but how Jesus identifies with us. In verse 9 it says, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So, Jesus is walking with the intent to go to the one who was paving his way. Verse 10 says, and when he came up out of the water, so he's being baptized, as he comes up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. As the passage continues, it says the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The picture that we see is Jesus came with intentionality to experience baptism. The word baptism, the Greek is baptizo, which I'm sure is very exciting too, but there's a simple meaning to it. The simple meaning is to immerse or to submerge or to go under. The meaning here is to go under the water. And Jesus gives us our mode for baptism. There's no sprinkling. There's no, like, just a little bit of water. It's the idea that we are to go under. Again, identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. It only happens in water baptism. And whenever you see this, there are several factors on why he would be baptized. Whenever you think about some of this, one of the most powerful things that I think goes unnoticed by many that we've hopefully learned in Connect Group this month is that he was confessing sin not for himself, but on behalf of his people. He was confessing sin not only on, for Israel's behalf, not only for the Jews, but he was confessing the sin for us. He had no sin. He was spotless and blameless. And this is something we see Isaiah do. Esther, not es- Esther, but Ezra and Nehemiah do this. The prophets all confess the sin of their people. We see that he also fulfilled Matthew 3.15. The fulfilling of the prophecy which ushered in his righteousness. This inaugurated his public ministry to the people. This was the starting point as he made this identification For us and with us and to us. He identifies with us and it just propels him into public ministry. This message of salvation to all people. This shows support for John's ministry. It identifies him with the contrite people of God. Like whenever you say, I have decided to repent and turn from my sin and confess Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. You see that God also did this through the power of his son. And then you see in number six, this gives us an example to follow. Baptism is a celebration of salvation. There's power in baptism. There's nothing like baptism because it's this act in which I get to fully identify in why I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, died for me. He who conquered sin and death and the grave, I get to identify that as I come out of the water. Victory belongs to the Lord and he gives it to us. In his death and burial and resurrection, in this act of baptism, he identified with sinful man. It shows that God's love knows no limit. When we sing songs like nothing but the blood or reckless love, It shows that God's love has no boundary. He loves us with an everlasting love and His love is powerful and effective and it makes dead men alive. Changes hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And so every time we celebrate baptism, we should do so with smiles on our faces. When someone makes this decision that publicly They want to make it known of their own accord that they believe in Jesus. There's this power that Jesus believes in them too. We would be amiss as we are in this passage not to talk about something else that I think is so complex. We could maybe spend the rest of our lives talking about it. But this scripture makes it so clear. It's the theology, the biblical understanding of the Trinity. Right here in the midst of this passage... We see in verse 10 it says, and the Trinity is that God is three in one. That Jesus is the Son, but he's not the Father, but he's God. That God is God, that the Father is God, but he's not the Son or the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is fully God, but he's not the Son or the Father. There's this passage right here that just makes it so clear, and it gives us this faith understanding. It says, and when Jesus, the Son, When he came up out of the water immediately, he, Jesus, saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit, that is God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descending on him, Jesus, like a dove. Not a dove, but like a dove. So Mark is trying to capture what he sees in this vision of God the Holy Spirit coming down on God the Son. And a voice came from heaven saying, you, Jesus are my beloved son. With you, Jesus, God the Son, I, God the Father, am well pleased. And just one of those things that just pins out why we say we believe that God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God is giving us this picture of identifying with us in our sin, but he also, Jesus, was baptized to be identified two sinful men. And this is so powerful because we have people that come into our church and they come into our lives and we are surrounded with them at work. We're surrounded by them at Chick-fil-A or Walmart or wherever it is you go in your community, at the football games or the baseball games. You're surrounded by sinful men and women who think they are beyond the love of God. You're surrounded by men and women who don't think they're worthy of the love of God, who have never known love at all. But God, who is rich in mercy, identifies with us. Usually whenever a candidate comes in view of a call, we just ask the husband or whoever the, the candidate to come and not their spouse. But today, after hearing... Courtney's testimony on Wednesday, I called and I said, how would you feel about sharing your story? Courtney, come share. She did say that she didn't mind at all or I wouldn't have her do this. So Courtney, please share your story.
2: Good morning, church family. Um, So my name is Courtney. Um, My testimony is very different from my husband's. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, My childhood was filled with lots of trauma and instability and abuse. Um, When I was Two, my parents got divorced um, after my dad went to prison. And my mom was really struggling with addiction at the time. And eventually, we, my sister and I went to go with my grandmother at the age of five. Um, we moved there, and that was from Florida to Texas. And I was a kid that really struggled with feeling like she wasn't wanted, that her parents couldn't take care of her and didn't want to take care of her. Um, during that time, when I was with my grandmother, I... Um, suffered abuse by another family member as well. Um, And so it wasn't a great situation, but they had some good moments. Um, When I was 12, my mom got remarried to my stepdad, and so we wanted to move back to live with her. And they um, were married for about a year before my stepdad committed suicide. Um, She, my mom, um, kind of went back into addiction and was unstable and Eventually, she left one day and didn't come back home and so my sister and I um, ended up being homeless. That lasted for about a summer um, in between before I started eighth grade and c p s was involved and we went to Gila with my dad, um, who lived in Georgia at the time with my older half sister um, after she got married and moved out. My sister and I realized that we were in a home of a violent drunk and My dad gave me my first black eye. Um, I remember, as a kid, being more upset and not getting to attend school for a week than understanding the reality of the situation. Um, um, About a year later, we went to go back and live with my grandmother. So at the age of 14, before I started um, freshman year, Um, I was at a little tiny town called Yantis, Texas, which is really close to Emory, a suburb of Emory, really. Um, It's big. Emory is big compared to Yantis. And um, I was invited to a Disciple Now weekend um, at the church um, by um, a friend at school. And that was the very first time I'd had the gospel preached to me. I had no idea about God or Jesus or what love really was. And so... I had heard the story of true love and redemption, and I ran down the aisle and accepted Christ as my Savior. And my life was transformed. Um, I think, you know, Psalm thirty speaks to that as He took my wailing and my sorrow, and He um, gave me or He transformed, He changed me to dancing, and He took my sackcloth off, my sackcloth off, and He um, clothed me with joy. I think I definitely have a. Understanding that my traumas um, from my childhood has been transformed into a testimony and to share about how great God really is um, and the message of what he can do and it's all for his glory. Um, one of the most powerful moments that I have of knowing that my story was used for good and that God can do all things um, with anything and he um, brought me on a mission trip to Romania and in a room, a really tiny room of an orphanage with 20 little Romanian orphan girls, after I shared my story with them um, and my testimony of how I also felt like an orphan, but now as a daughter of a king, um, they came to know Christ, and they um, received salvation, and so I think through it all, um, I now know I have a purpose and a peace and healing, and God has continued to do that, and it's, it's all to talk about how great God is and what he can do.
0: And pretty powerful, right? The power is in this message that whether you grew up in a loving home or if you grew up in the total opposite, God's love for you is so strong that that he wants to identify with everyone. And all we have to do is is confess and install him to be the king of kings and lord of lords in our hearts and our lives and we get to experience salvation and it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what you look like, what you smell like, what you enjoy or don't. God's love is not limited. Verse 14 and 15 as we continue on in our passage it says now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I love this. John gets taken away where he will eventually be beheaded by Herod, and Jesus steps in the one who was paving away gets taken out, and Jesus steps in in his word is the time is fulfilled. Now is the time. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he repeats John the Baptist's message. Repent and believe in the gospel. Whenever he said this, Jesus spoke of the time and the presence of the kingdom of God and the Jews understood him What it meant that He was the Messiah who would come to fulfill and inaugurate His long-awaited kingdom. He presented this message of good news. That God was there to take away the sins of the world. That the promised one was here to redeem and restore what sin had broken. I love the availability of the gospel. How in its scope Christ died for the world or the cosmos, that anytime salvation is mentioned in Scripture, it's not about a select few or a frozen chosen, but that the gospel is made available to anyone who would believe. There's no limit to it, that whosoever will may experience the power of the gospel. That the Holy Spirit brings conviction of our sin and brings us to a point of repentance. That creation itself declares the glory of the Lord. that is it's made available to someone like you and someone like me. And whether you come from a picture-perfect family, kind of, wreck of a family God's love is for you and that kingdom of God is at hand and you can enter into it or not because here's the deal we either believe in Jesus or we reject him there is no middle ground you don't get to have this argument that I think Jesus was a good person and so I'm just going to hang out there. Jesus calls us all to faith and repentance and we either receive him as our as our lord and savior or we reject him. And as you think about there being no middle ground, you've got to decide. Is he lord of your life or do you look at everything he said and say, "No, he's just a liar." As C.S. Lewis said, just a, a lunatic. Those are your three choices. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. And as all these things are playing out in your mind and your heart, it's our hope and belief that you can experience God in such a fresh way that you can experience the power of not only knowing Him, but being known by Him and making Him known to a world that desperately needs Him. And that brings us to part of why we want Darren to come on our staff as our adult minister. Part of why we think it's so critical to have someone help us grow and develop in what Christ wants us to be as adults. We know it's important for preschool and children. We know it's important for our students. But let me tell you, there is a vision beyond what we're doing with children that I think our adults need to buy into. So Darren, please come and just kind of share part of the vision that we have for our adult ministry.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I noticed when I very first visited the church back in November, October of 2018, and really fell in love with was the desire and the plan here for adult discipleship. And so the way that works with connect groups and with home groups and with go groups, it all just got me really excited. And even in coming on in the beginning of this year and having actually the role of interacting with all of those groups, it got me super excited. And then whenever we went on staff retreat and talking about coming on full time, where I actually get to you know, have time to institute my vision for it. Nothing excites me more because I think where where we really have great potential here is whenever our adults begin to share their faith with other adults and life change happens. And because we have um, we have members who have friends and relatives and acquaintances and neighbors, like, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, right? And so my vision for what that looks like is really beginning to instill um, a desire and an ability in all of our adults to equip them to share the gospel with all those people in their lives and so having an understanding of their own salvation and being able to repeat that to somebody else whether it's sharing a testimony like my wife or I did today um, and having that impact people's lives and what we see whenever that happens whenever we all get behind that and get as excited as the staff is about it um, what we see is just multiplication of believers and that we can really begin to affect our community here in our state and our nation and the world when we get bold about sharing our faith and so that's why I'm super excited to come on and to instill.
0: You know, it starts with, with us, right? With this personal decision that we make to repent and believe. We turn away from our sins and we confess with our mouth belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Repentance and belief is how we enter into the kingdom of God. Repentance and belief is is how we install Jesus not only as the King of kings but king's, king of our heart, not just as Lord of Lord, but Lord of our life. And whenever He comes into our hearts and He saves us from our sin, in that moment, everything is supposed to change. John was unique, John the Baptist. He was distinguishably different from everyone else. He didn't care about money. He didn't care about possessions. He didn't care about food. In everything in his life, he just had enough. But he always had more than what he needed. Because his focus was not on himself. His focus was on the Messiah. And when we receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, what happens to us is our priorities change. Our wants and needs are transformed. Our lives look different which is why we do things like fall festival why we ask for the good candy and not that two dollar 40 pound bag of trash from walmart you know what i'm talking about it's got the orange and black wrappers that nobody wants to eat try to peel the wrapper off and it sticks we want the the good candy Because we want to leverage Twix and Skittles into an opportunity to share with boys and girls and their moms and dads and their grandmoms and granddads the message that many people in our culture and our community have not heard. That there is a God who made them, created them, sustained them, and loves them with an everlasting life. And an everlasting love who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for their sin. And we're motivated to do anything we can short of sin to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. When we receive Jesus, Jesus, we get a God who is with us always, even until the end of the earth. When we receive Jesus, we have purpose and passion for living. When we receive Jesus, we get not just forgiveness of sin, we get eternity with him. As the scripture says, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So the choice that you have to make this morning is have you repented or rejected Jesus?